Book 8, Chapter 4 of A Class Book of Old Testament History by G. F. McClear. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Cliff Stone of Sydney, Australia. A Class Book of Old Testament History by G. F. McClear. Book 8, Chapter 4 The Battle of Michmash. 1 Samuel chapters 13 and 14, B.C. 1093 to 1087. In dismissing Saul from Ramah after their first interview, Samuel, it will be remembered, had told him that he would pass a garrison of the Philistines. 1 Samuel 10 verse 5, 8 verse 3. Recovering from their defeat at Ebenezer, this people had again renewed their old hostilities and pitched in the heart of the mountains of Benjamin. Two years after his accession, 1 Samuel 8 and verse 1, Saul resolved to throw off a yoke which pressed so severely on the neighbourhood of his native place. Gathering round him a small standing army of 3,000 men, he placed 1,000 under the command of his valiant son Jonathan at Geba, while he himself, with 2,000, took up a position at Michmash, about seven miles north of Jerusalem and along the ridge of intervening heights in the direction of Bethel. Either at or close to Jonathan's position was posted a garrison of the Philistines. For some time the rival forces stood watching one another, and at length Jonathan, in a fit of youthful ardour, fell upon the garrison and put it to flight. Tidings of this event quickly reached the Philistines in their rich southern plains who forthwith swarmed with a vast force up through the passes of Benjamin while Saul retired to Gilgal and there summoned a general gathering of the nation. But in face of the enormous masses of their foes, the Israelites, seized with a sudden panic, as in the days of Gideon, Judges 6 verse 2, fled for refuge to the natural hiding places of the country, to the dens, the inaccessible fastnesses and the caves with which it abounded, while some even crossed the Jordan into the territory of Gad and Gilead. 1 Samuel 8 Verse 7. The Philistines now in their turn occupied Michmash, and their oppression of the Israelites was most grievous. A regular disarmament was carried out, so that none of the Hebrews had sword or spear save the king and his son, and their immediate retainers, nay the very smiths were removed, and the Hebrews were constrained to go down to their enemies to get the agricultural implements sharpened. In this terrible crisis, Saul sent messages from Gilgal to Samuel at Ramah, who promised within seven days to join the king and celebrate solemn sacrifices, preparatory, probably, to some concerted plan of action. But the days passed away, and Samuel came not. The Philistines were collecting in constantly increasing numbers at Michmash, and the terrified Israelites dropped off more and more, leaving their king with barely 600 followers. The present posture of affairs imperatively demanded prudence and caution, and from Samuel the king would doubtless have learnt the divine will, and he, who had enabled Gideon with only 300 men to conquer even more numerous foes, would have opened up some mode of deliverance. But Samuel came not, and Saul, unable to restrain his impatience, resolved to offer the sacrifices himself. He had scarcely done so when the prophet arrived and sternly rebuked him for his impetuous zeal. 
Thou hast done foolishly, he said. Thou hast not kept the commandment of the Lord thy God. And he proceeded to intimate that the kingdom, which might have been established in his family, would not continue, but would be transferred to another. 1 Samuel 8 verses 11 to 14. Meanwhile, the Philistines continued their oppressive and tyrannical exactions. Roving bands from their camp went forth in three directions and committed disastrous depredations, while from the heights where they were encamped, Saul and Jonathan, at the head of their little band, looked down upon a ravaged and terror-stricken country, unable and afraid to lift a hand against its oppressors. At length, Jonathan resolved to strike another blow, between the Israelite position at Geba and the Philistine garrison at Michmash was a distance of about three miles, part of which consisted of a deep gorge running between two sharp jagged rocks, the one called Bozes, shining, probably from the white chalky cliffs, the other, Sina, the thorn of acacia, so called probably from some solitary acacia on its summit. Above this gorge was the Philistine garrison. Without informing his father, or communicating his design to anyone except the young man, his armour-bearer, Jonathan resolved to ascend the steep sides of the ravine and then to take the conduct of the enemy as an omen for further operations. If the Philistines came forth and threatened an attack, they would remain in the valley. If they challenged them to advance, they would take this as an augury of success and press on. Upon their hands and feet then the two climbed up and at length were detected by the Philistines. Behold, they cried in derision, the Hebrews come forth out of the holes where they have hid themselves. Come up and we will shew you a thing. The omen was favourable and the two pressed on. Strong as a lion and swift as an eagle, 2 Samuel 1 verse 23, Jonathan no sooner reached the summit than he rushed upon his unexpecting foes and aided by his armour-bearer slew at the first onset upwards of twenty men. Thereupon a sudden and uncontrollable panic seized the garrison and spread to the camp and even the marauding hordes in the neighbourhood. A simultaneous earthquake, 1 Samuel 14 verse 15, increased the confusion, and when Saul's watchmen at Gibeah looked towards the opposite end of the gorge of Michmash, they beheld the multitudes melting away, going and beating down one another. Unable to explain the cause of this sudden movement, the king ordered the high priest Ahiah to inquire who had left the Israelite camp. On ascertaining that Jonathan was leading an attack upon the enemy, he would have a second time consulted the Ark of God. But while he was talking, the noise of the Philistine host grew louder and louder. On this, he bade the high priest stay his inquiries, and putting himself at the head of his 600 followers, he rushed up the defile and on reaching the opposite side found that a general panic had seized the foe. Every man's hand was against his fellow, and there was a great discomfiture. 1 Samuel 14 verse 20 It was the signal for a general rising. Even the Israelites in the Philistine camp turned against their captors, and were quickly joined by others of their brethren, who till now had remained concealed in the mountains of Ephraim. Onwards, the pursuit swept over the high ground of Bethel and down the pass of Beth Horon to Agilon. In the excitement of the hour, and carried away by that rash impetuosity which henceforth seemed to mar all his actions, Saul cried to heaven, Cursed be the man that eateth any food until evening, that I may be avenged of mine enemies. 1 Samuel 14 verse 24
He had not yet encountered his heroic son, and the fasting people were spent and wearied. Soon the pursuit lay through a forest bedewed in divers' places with the droppings of wild honey. Overcome with his exertions, which had brought such glory to the nation, and unaware of his father's rash adjuration, Jonathan put forth the end of his staff into a honeycomb, and therewith refreshed his parched lips. An Israelite saw what he had done, and revealed the terms of the royal curse. My father hath troubled the land, said he, and once more mingled in the pursuit. 1 Samuel 14, verses 24 to 32. The day must now have been far advanced, and the host, utterly unable to endure any longer the enforced fast, flew upon the spoil, and taking sheep and oxen, slew them on the ground, devouring the fresh carcasses even with the blood. When the news of this infraction of the law was announced to Saul, he directed that a large stone should be set up to serve as a kind of altar. Still eager and impetuous, late as it was, he wished to continue the pursuit, and to spoil the Philistines till the morning light. The more prudent Ahiah suggested that the divine will should first be ascertained. Arrayed in his ephod, 1 Samuel 14 verse 3, he consulted probably the breastplate of judgment, while the king inquired of the Lord, Shall I go down after the Philistines? Wilt thou deliver them into the hand of Israel? But no answer was vouchsafed. The oracle was dumb. Suspecting there was something to intercept the divine response, Saul proposed to ascertain the cause by appealing to the sacred lot, exclaiming with all his former rashness, As the Lord liveth, though the sin be found in Jonathan my son, he shall surely die. In solemn silence the chiefs of the host divided. Saul and Jonathan stood on one side, the people on the other. The lot was cast, and it was ascertained that the sin lay between the king and his son. Again the lot was cast, and this time Jonathan was taken. Adjured by his father, the youthful conqueror confessed that with his staff he had taken and eaten some honey. Saul declared he would abide by his vow, and Jonathan would have fallen a victim to the royal rashness had not the people interfered. With a determination he dared not oppose, they declared that not one hair of his head should fall to the ground. Thus Jonathan was saved, and Saul returned to his native hills, and the Philistines defeated and disgraced to their fertile lowlands. 1 Samuel 14, verses 24 to 46. End of Book 8, Chapter 4 of A Class Book of Old Testament History by G.F. McClear Recorded by Cliff Stone of Sydney, Australia